You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. What's up, Live Different Podcast listeners? It's Matt coming to you with another episode. I am happy to be back with the Live Different Podcast, and I have two quick updates for you guys. One is at Under 30 Experiences, my group travel company for young people ages 21 to 35. We are launching USA trips for late 2020 and 2021. We are hoping the world will be back to normal and there is no better time to explore the great outdoors, especially here in our own backyard in the United States. So look out for three new trips dropping this week. One from Los Angeles to Joshua Tree National Park in California by way of a nice night in Palm Springs. We have San Francisco out to Tahoe for a winter wonderland trip. And then finally, Las Vegas to the higher, colder elevations of Zion and Bryce Canyon National Parks. I am pumped for these trips, places that are definitely on my bucket list. And number two, on the 13th of August, I am finally launching the Millennial Travel Guidebook, Escape More, Spend Less, and Make Travel a Priority in Your Life. I know this this is a shitty time to launch a travel book, but guess what? All of the stuff in the book is relevant, whether you're traveling internationally, domestically, if you're planning for the future. Uh, as a good friend of mine said, it's more of a... Uh, book about life rather than really about travel. I mean, there's lots of nuts and bolts. Don't get me wrong about how to find flights, accommodations, etc., which you'll be able to use for the rest of your life, but also just philosophy about life. So if you uh, like this podcast, you want to live differently, I highly recommend you check out the Millennial Travel guidebook. I would be so grateful if you could pre-order that for just 99 cents. We're basically giving it away to get the downloads in the first week. Thank you guys so much for your support. I would love if you checked it out and left a review. That would provide direct support for this podcast. And without further ado, here is my interview with Dr. Stephen Gundry. And please note, this interview was recorded pre-COVID, so I did not get to ask him COVID-related questions, but absolutely, you will enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today I am here with a man that needs no introduction, Dr. Stephen Gundry. I will introduce him very briefly, however, just in case you've been living under a rock and don't know Dr. Gundry's work, but he is the host of the Dr. Gundry podcast. He did his undergrad studies at Yale University. He then went on to get his MD from the Medical College of Georgia and did his surgical residency at the University of Michigan, went on to be professor of surgery and pediatrics 
uh, at Loma Linda University, which I'm excited to talk to him about. And uh, you, Dr. Gundry, you are a cardiologist, as I understand, or at least you were the chairman and head of a uh, oh institute. It got cut off when I copied it from your bio, but of cardiothoracic surgery. Is that correct? Correct, correct. Beautiful, beautiful. I like to make sure I fact check everything with everyone, but Dr. Gundry, without further ado, welcome. Matt, thanks for having me on the program. No, you're, you're very welcome. We have a lot of excited millennial uh, listeners who are ex who want to take, of course, their, their health into their own hands. I think a lot of people in our generation are perhaps getting to the age where it's important to say, oh, geez, I might not, I'm not 19 anymore, and uh, I really need to start paying attention to this stuff, as well as uh, starting to begin having families, which you just came out with the Plant Paradox Family Cookbook, 81 pot recipes to nourish your family using your Instapot slow cooker or sheet pan. So I'm very excited to talk to you all about this stuff. All right. So where do you want to start? Well, that's a good question. So we were we were talking a little bit off camera that one of the all-time favorite uh, all-time listener favorites uh, here on the Live Different podcast was with the Butner Brothers of the Blue Zones study and you, as you informed me, are one of the only nutritionists to ever have their. Uh, practice or their career inside a blue zone there in Loma Linda. So I'd love to, to talk to you a little bit about just what that experience was like being in such a, a vibrant community. Yeah, um, you know, Dan Buckner um, certainly originated the term uh, blue zone. And he, you know, initially studied uh, essentially five blue zones. And Loma Linda uh, is the only blue zone uh, in the United States that he identified. And blue zones, as your listeners know, are places where he identified that people had uh, exceptionally long, good lifespans and good health spans. And so, um, and I don't want to speak for him because we actually both live in Santa Barbara as well. Um, but what he tried to find was the the common factors of people who live in blue zones. And his work um, suggested, and he implied that blue zones are blue zones because people in general eat uh, a lot of whole grains and a lot of beans, and that that produces their exceptional um, longevity. And he also correctly described that places, uh, blue zones, uh, like Greece and uh, like uh, Sardinia and Okinawa, have very tight-knit communities. And uh, one of the things I can tell you about Loma Linda, California, is it is primarily an Adventist community. And Loma Linda University Medical School is actually the Adventist medical school. Uh, for the entire Adventist healthcare system. Now, I'm not an Adventist. I was one of the few uh, full professors who was non-Adventist. Uh, but uh, the Adventist community is an incredibly tight-knit community. 
And one of the things that I write about in my bestseller, The Longevity Paradox, is that one of the secrets of super old people is that they do have a very tight-knit social network. And whether that's around a church like the Adventists or whether it's around simply a town or community or other reasons to have a deep social connection, that really doesn't seem to make any difference but it's this tight-knit community. So that's number one. But number two, uh, as I show in the longevity paradox, if you actually look at the individual diet characteristics of these various blue zones, they actually have wildly different diets than what you would think. In fact, we'll give you an example, the Adventist and Melinda, their main protein source is what's called TVP, which is texturized vegetable protein. And at, in Loma Linda, it is used to make every mystery meat known to mankind. And you can duplicate a taste and a mouth texture of a shrimp, for instance. You can duplicate spam. I'm um, not sure how many millennials know what spam is, <laughs> but uh, spam uh, actually got started in World War II, and it's kind of ground-up pork of whatever's left over on the hog that doesn't oink, and it's ground into a meat, and uh, you, we used to have spam sandwiches. It became very popular in Hawaii because of the war effort. Anyhow, uh, we had wham sandwiches at Loma Linda made out of texturized vegetable protein. So why am I bringing this up? It turns out that if anyone is aware of the plant paradox and the problems with plant proteins that are called lectins, lectins are very prevalent in beans. Um, whatever kind of bean, whether it's soybeans, whether it's black beans, kidney beans. And pressure cooking just uh, de <coughs> me destroys the lectins in beans and what's interesting about the Adventists is that TVP is actually uh, defatted soybean that is extruded under high pressure and high heat to make texturized vegetable protein and I you know think back fondly the fact that the clever Adventists knew how bad beans were, and they got, did the natural thing, and that's to pressure cook and heat them under high heat to make texturized vegetable protein. And nobody happens to mention how clever they were. So uh, and there are numerous other blue zones um, that Dan did not describe. Uh, one of them are the Catavans in Papua New Guinea, who eat a completely different diet. They don't eat any beans, they don't eat any rice, and they eat uh, mostly fish, but 30% of their diet is coconut oil. And they all smoke like fiends, and yet there's never been a case of lung cancer in this community, and they all live till their mid-90s without medical care, and there's never been a documented case of uh, heart attack or stroke in, in any of these people. Let me give you one more example. The Okinawan diet was also a blue zone. 
The only official recording of the ancient Okinawan diet was made by the U.S. military uh, after World War II. And it's published data. Anybody can look it up on Google. And what's interesting about the long-lived Okinawan diet is that about 85% of what they eat are purple sweet potatoes. Not beans, not rice, purple sweet potatoes. About 5% of their diet is rice, but it's not brown rice, it's white rice. And about 5% of their diet is soy, but it's uh, fermented soy, natto or miso. It's not tofu. So when, so this blue zone doesn't follow any of the blue zone rules of eating rice and beans, and they actually eat sweet potatoes. And we can go on and on. Uh, the point I'm trying to make is that blue zones aren't blue zones because people eat rice and beans. The common factor of blue zones, whether it's Loma Linda, whether it's Okinawa, whether it's the Catawans, is the vast majority of these areas eat very little animal protein. And that's actually the common factor. In fact, uh, my good friend uh, Gary Frazier, who heads up the longevity study at Loma Linda, who's a cardiologist, uh, has documented that the longest living of the long-lived Adventists are vegans. And with each amount of animal protein added into their diet, for instance, it's perfectly fine to be a vegetarian and be an Adventist. Uh, so the addition of, for instance, eggs or milk products actually shortens their lifespan compared to the vegans. And having lived there for many, many years, I can tell you that a number of Adventists cheat and have chicken or fish. And when those people are factored in, they have shorter lifespans and more coronary disease than the vegans. Uh, so um, I, I get a kick out of listening to the carnivore diet folks, and maybe we'll get into that. Um, but the, the unifying factor of the blue zones is very little animal protein. Sorry about that. That is that is very that is very interesting. And um, okay, so these are many of the reasons why it's not the blue. It, it's not these things that they're doing in the blue zones because we've all heard of. Uh, well, I guess my grandma, one of my grandmothers, didn't live that long, but she smoked until she died at eighty-five, which. <laughs> That's a heck of a lot longer than we were all given her. Uh, you know, drank vodka and yeah. and just loved to love to do her thing. But she also had a very close family, a very very close friend group, and was very active, dancing two three nights a week. Was doing all of these things that you see more common in these close-knit communities. Uh, I was saying before that I lived in Costa Rica for, oh geez, about seven years, not in the specific part that they studied in one of the Blue Zone studies, but I totally get it. Uh, these are close-knit uh, groups with lots of social stuff going on. And the people, you know, the people in Costa Rica in these little towns, they're eating a lot of rice and beans, but also a lot of junk. You know, it's obesity is a huge problem 
in rural Costa Rica as it is in rural America. Uh, and, and yeah, it has a lot to do with socioeconomics, of, of course. But Dr. Gundry, so what are some of these things that people are doing in the blue zones? And one, actually, that I read in The Plant Paradox that you don't mind is having a glass of wine or two every so often, which sounds real good to me. Could you talk about that? <laughs> Well, you know, wine, there's the original French paradox was uh, that people in France smoke like fiends, they eat tons of cheeses, they have butter, and yet they paradoxically actually are skinny and they live long lives. And the original feeling was that there were components in uh, red wine that uh, probably increased your ability to age well. And there are, in fact, components in red wine, resveratrol, most people have heard of. Uh, there's also another component called quercetin, sometimes pronounced quercetin. But these are polyphenols, and I love to talk about polyphenols. These are plant compounds that actually, in, the tr in, in grapes, actually protect the grape against sunburn. And just a fun fact for millennials, the higher the grapes are grown in altitude, the more resveratrol content the grapes will have. So uh, get yourself some Argentinian uh, wines, which are grown at 5,000, even 7,000 feet, and you'll actually have more resveratrol in your wine. Uh, so what happens with resveratrol is it turns on some interesting genes that are part of the CERT 1, 2, 3 family. And the activation of these genes actually extends lifespan in every animal studied. Uh, and that may be part of the factor. The second part of the factor is that uh, wine and the components of wine follow what's called a hormetic curve. Hormesis is a fancy word that says, that which doesn't kill me makes me stronger. And uh, so wine follows that curve. Uh, so there are multiple human studies that show that one to two glasses of red wine a day actually promotes health and longevity, whereas zero amount of wine does not have as good effect. On the other hand, because it's a bell-shaped curve, once you kind of exceed uh, one to two glasses of wine a day, you begin to see detrimental effects on health, including, unfortunately, raised blood pressure. Now, one thing for millennials to realize is that binge drinking is probably one of the worst things you can do for your health, even if it is red wine, because wine, the alcohol in red wine, is a known damager of the lining of the wall of our gut. And you exceed about two glasses of red wine a day, and you will produce leaky gut. And we are seeing a wonderful epidemic of liver disease, fatty liver disease among binge drinkers. And 
interestingly enough, it's actually not the alcohol that's killing their liver. Uh, you could bathe the liver in alcohol all day and nothing would happen. What's happening is the alcohol is damaging the lining of the gut. And then not only do lectins go to your liver, but also bacteria get through the wall of your gut and go to your liver. And that's actually where the problem starts. So. Wow. Okay. Good to know. Thank you for, thank you for explaining that. And for a lot of people listening out there, they might think, well, I could probably take you know, the resveratrol supplement and be able to skip some of that alcohol, but it is a, there is a social component to it. There is a relaxation component, taking the, taking a little bit of stress off. So I guess when, when used responsibly, if you say it has this hormetic effect, uh, that is, that, that is great. Do you, do you have other examples of Hormesis, uh, maybe jumping in the Pacific Ocean. I don't know. What what other uh, examples do you like? That's actually a great example. Let me give you one last kind of follow-up on the difference of, of wine drinking. Uh, for instance, in Europe, uh, wine is a beverage that's consumed during a meal. And unfortunately for most Westerners, we've come to look at happy hour as where we're consuming wine most of the time just to consume wine or cocktails or alcoholic beverages. And it's not part of the beverage of the meal necessarily. And so using it as a beverage with a meal actually, if you will, dilutes out the effect of this kind of sudden hit of alcohol that uh, Americans crave. So again, we can learn from um, some of these uh, places other than how we practice the art of drinking alcohol. Uh, I love that. Uh, and before you, before you go on, I'd actually like to ask, uh, resveratrol, at least the supplement I know is fat soluble. So I always try to take it with food. Uh, would you think that it might work a little bit the same way with uh, the, it, it and alcohol? I'm glad you asked that. It turns out that um, I usually present uh, some of my data at the World Congress of Polyphenols every year over in Europe. And what's fascinating is polyphenols are thought by most lay people to be antioxidants, and that's how they work. Well, it turns out that uh, they don't work that way at all. And even resveratrol is not actively absorbed by us, even if you eat fat. What we're now learning is the bacteria in our gut, the microbiome, are actually what eats these plant compounds. Mm. And it's that they then change these plant compounds into active compounds that we then absorb. So um, we actually don't even absorb resveratrol in a fatty meal. And uh, so the whole effect of polyphenols is actually on our gut microbiome. Uh, and if, quite frankly, if you take care of feeding your gut microbiome the things they like to eat, then you are their host and you're basically their condominium and they will take care of you. 
as long as you keep them happy. Okay. So, all right. So getting back to jumping in the Pacific Ocean. Um, yes, it turns out that uh, extreme heat and extreme cold activate a series of uh, protective hormone-like substances called heat shock proteins. And I actually used heat shock proteins in my work as a cardiothoracic surgeon in protecting the heart. And we found that we could, for instance, uh, temporarily clamp a major blood vessel to the heart for a few minutes and deprive that heart muscle of blood flow and then release that clamp and let blood flow flow for a few minutes and that would actually release what are called heat shock proteins and then we could clamp the heart for an hour and work on it and afterwards the heart would go oh yeah I'm fine it didn't bother me a bit because of the protective effect of heat shock proteins and interestingly enough people who live in extreme norm uh, cold climates uh, I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, and Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I can assure you it gets nice and cold. Uh, these, one of the reasons people seem and do live longer in extreme cold climates is that you activate these uh, heat shock proteins with either cold exposure or heat exposure. One of the theories why saunas were, are so effectively uh, in prevent or in having good health is the activation of heat shock protein. So, and I tell everyone who will listen, you know, you just have to come and visit me in Palm Springs in the summer when it's 115 degrees, you'll get plenty of heat shock proteins, I guarantee it. That that makes sense. That's that's great. Um, this, this is a, a burning question of mine, and I don't know if you'll know the answer. This is the mechanism at which it works, but blood flow restriction training is that similar to what you just said creates heat shock proteins because it clamps yeah. off part of the body yeah that yeah that's actually uh, partly how it works hmm. the other way it works and we actually have a device that uh it's called the endopad it was invented by the israelis that measures the ability of your blood vessels to expand when there's a need for them to expand and the way I, and what we do with this device is we put a blood pressure cuff around somebody's arm and blow it up tight for five minutes and it cuts off all the blood flow to your arm. And then we have sensors that we put on the fingers of people that can measure blood flow and how fast the blood is flowing. And um, I'll use an example for Southern California. Let's suppose we're on a four-lane freeway and all of a sudden there's an accident and all of a sudden the freeway goes down to one lane. And you have all these cars who want to go down the freeway and it backs up and everybody's getting angry and everybody's on the horn. And then the accident's cleared. Now, if you're that poor commuter who's stuck in traffic, you would love it if somehow the, the four-lane freeway became an eight-lane freeway. 
And so that all that backup could rapidly get to where it's going. What this device does and what with uh, ischemic training does is you can actually show that if things are normal in you, that you should be able to go from a four-lane freeway to an eight-lane freeway. And that's called vascular flexibility, and there's an expression in longevity circles that you are only as young as your blood vessels are flexible. And so, yeah, so when you do a training uh, with, resist, with uh, clamps on your blood vessels, if you will, you'll activate heat shock protein, which actually will promote dilatation after the fact and you will build flexibility in your blood vessels. That's really cool. They have been on my list of things to experiment with for a long time. So for everybody who maybe isn't sure what we're talking about here, I'll link to some uh, blood flow restriction bands. Very easily found on Amazon or anything like yeah. that, it seems. It seems like it's a pretty simple technology. Uh, but yeah, an interesting one at, at that. Okay, and Dr. Gundry, of course I want to get into more things that you've written about uh, in your in your book in a second so people have a lot of actionable takeaways. Uh, there are money-saving tips and time-saving tips and uh, obviously plenty of things that will help uh, your family or your partner also buy in on some of these concepts, which is half the battle most of the time, uh, perhaps three-quarters of the battle. But I did want to ask you, uh, about, of course, a hot topic, and you said the carnivore diet. When you are a huge proponent of a low-protein diet, if I think of you as you have already stated. So what do you think about this uh, very <laughs> barbaric, if you will, elimination diet? Well, I think that's exactly what it is. It probably is the ultimate uh, elimination diet. And... I think a lot of the carnivore doctors have credited me in one way or another with making them think about plant uh, defense systems. And one of the things that I think we all have to realize is that plants are subject to evolutionary pressures exactly like animals are. And by that it means that uh, you basically want to live, you want to grow and have babies, and you want to make sure your babies live. And, and I understand you're pregnant or <laughs> your counterpart yes. is pregnant. So. And so you're, you're, you're just fulfilling evolutionary pressures. Um, so, good for you. <laughs> the plant has the same feeling. The plant wants to grow, the plant wants to make seeds, and wants to make sure its seeds grow. Plants were here on Earth alone before animals arrived for many, many millions of years. When animals arrived, they were insects, and suddenly plants had a problem. Uh, insects wanted to eat them. They, plants can't run, they can't hide, they can't fight, but they're chemists of incredible ability. And at you living in Costa Rica, you were surrounded by the fact that plants can turn sunlight into matter and we haven't figured out how to do that yet. Uh, we can do lots of things with sunlight, but we can't make matter out of it. So they're chemists of incredible ability. And so they use chemical biologic warfare to try to prevent animals from eating them. 
And one of the chemical defense systems uh, uh, that I, I guess became famous for is lectins. And lectins are proteins that absolutely positively make leaky gut. They create neuropathy. They create anxiety and depression. They actually produce coronary artery disease. Uh, they create arthritis. And a smart animal who eats lectins, that the lectins get into them, says, wow, you know, every time I eat these plant babies, these seeds, or even these plant leaves, I don't do very well. I don't feel good. I'm not thriving. Maybe I'm not making as many babies as I should. Uh, I think I'll go eat something else. The plant wins, the animal wins, and everybody's happy. So the extreme of that is, well, uh, animals have a different defense system. They can run, they can hide, they can fight. And animals don't use lectins as a defense system. So the extreme extension of avoiding lectins is to avoid all plants and to just eat animals. Now, part of the problem is that animals, even 50 years ago, are totally different than that we eat, are totally different than the animals we eat now. Uh, we feed uh, most of our animals on feedlots now, whether they're chickens, whether they're pigs, whether they're cows. Even, believe it or not, most bison and most venison are raised in farms that are fed grains. And there's an expression that everyone knows, you are what you eat, but you are what the thing you're eating ate. And so I see so many of my patients with autoimmune diseases who are eating even organic chicken uh, or grass-fed beef, and they still have autoimmune diseases without realizing that their organic chickens were fed organic corn and soybeans, which they're not designed to eat, and their grass-fed cow, because there's no federal government definition of what constitutes grass-fed, that you could feed a cow grass for one day of its life and then take it to a feedlot and feed it corn and soybeans the rest of its life and still list it as grass-fed. Wow. Uh, wow. So people have to see grass-fed, grass-finished, and that's what they're actually looking for. So back to the carnivore. Um, and I've had um, one of the carnivore diet folks on my podcast, and he's a very nice fellow. Uh, but there is no actually evidence of a carnivore society uh, with longevity. There unfortunately just isn't. The other thing, uh, my uh, research, my undergraduate degree at Yale University was in human evolutionary biology. And I can tell you that we're not the wonderful human species that took over the world because we lived on animals that we chased down in the plains of Africa. Uh, we actually got big brains for a totally different reason, and I'll have a book coming out on that in a year or so. But it wasn't eating animals. And how do we know that? Because there are no large brain carnivorous animals that have ever been described. Lions and tigers and hyenas have small brains, and all they are all carnivores. 
your dog and cat have small brains. We have the largest brains of any species. And if eating meat promotes large brains, then surely there should be some other example where that's happened and there isn't. Very interesting. That's, that's now, great. Yeah. Now, the other thing that the carnivore folks don't take, keep in mind is, believe it or not, uh, lectins and even polyphenols are mischievous plant compounds. But what none of these uh, well-meaning physicians and others take into account is our microbiome, these hundred trillion organisms that live in our gut, that live in our mouth, have evolved to actually handle plant compounds. They absolutely evolved to eat these plant compounds and to, if you will, detoxify these plant compounds. Uh, and it's as if these guys didn't exist in the, in the carnivore thinking. Now, the whole point of the plant paradox was that our microbiome has totally changed in the last 50 years because of all the antibiotics we've been taking, all the antibiotics that have been fed to our animals, all the uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories that we've been taking, all the acid-reducing drugs that we've been taking, and so on and so forth. So that our defense system against plants has basically been, been decimated. Um, anyone who likes, you know, for instance, watching football will know that when you, your, your first defensive guy is gone, your second defensive guy is gone, and now you got the third stringer that you pulled in you know, off the street, probably the running back is going to run right through <laughs> you. And, and that's, that's been the problem. Okay. Well, yeah, thank you for explaining that. And uh, I know, of course, you're big on avoiding lectins or, or destroying them through the uh, Instant Pot and, and pressure cooking. Yeah. But essentially what you're saying is a lot of these plants are out to kill us. And uh, do you have other examples of, you know, I, I think I heard you talk to Dave Asprey about killer kale uh, and, and things like this. Do you have any other examples of things that people traditionally think of as health foods uh, in some instances? And, and it turns out that there's a lot of bad stuff that's actually out to hurt us. Well, you know, the, I think the reason there's a smash tomato on the cover of most of my books is that a tomato is part of the nightshade family and the peels and the seeds of tomatoes and peppers for instance have the lectin content and traditional cultures have actually always peeled and de-seeded tomatoes or peppers the southwest american indians who, uh, who actually originally cultivated peppers always peeled and de-seeded peppers before they would use them. In fact, uh, go to the grocery store and buy a can of chopped green chilies, and you will actually find no peels and seeds in that can because traditionally they're removed. In Italy, uh, all sauces, all tomato sauces, are made from peeled and de-seeded tomatoes uh, because traditionally that's where the problem was. And we forget that uh, because, interestingly, getting back to blue zones, 
Uh, I was in a small town uh, in uh, the middle of Italy, in Tuscany, uh, actually meeting with uh, winemakers who do biodynamic uh, winemaking. And they had a big organic garden, which was actually biodynamic. And there were these beautiful uh, Roma tomatoes. And I said, oh, you know, you're growing Roma tomatoes. You know, what, what do you use those for? He said, oh, we make sauce. And I said, well, you know, how do you make sauce? And he says, wow, you know, we, we char the skin and peel the skin off and then we cut it in half and we squeeze the seeds out and then we put it in a pot and we make it. And I said, oh, you know, how'd you learn how to do that? And he said, well, my mother taught me. And I said, he said, everybody knows you have to take the peel and seeds out of tomatoes. And I said, well, who taught her? And she said, my grandmother. And what's interesting is, so we have, unlike really even... 60 years ago, we had multi-generational families living either in the same house or at least in the same village. Uh, I know uh, growing up in Omaha, Nebraska, my, uh, my great-grandmother lived nearby, my aunts and uncles lived nearby. Multiple times a year, we would assemble at one or more of our houses, and you know the cousins would play and the kids would play. And we'd learn from my great-grandmother, who um, was the matriarch of the family, and she lived one month shy of her 100th birthday. And uh, so we've lost that intergenerational community teaching of how you do things. I mean, for instance, in, in Tuscany, they will soak beans for 48 hours and change the water every four to six hours, throw the water out, because soaking traditionally will leach lectins out. And interesting studying the Incas uh, who used quinoa as a food source. Quinoa is so full of lectins that the Incas soaked the quinoa for 48 hours, then they fermented it, they let it rot, and fermentation destroys lectins. And then they cooked it. And it's not on the package directions. So I'm, I, I, get, you know, I get so annoyed that we haven't learned from these cultures how to detoxify plants. Um, it's, again, it's, it's like the Adventists. They figured out you had to pressure cook uh, and you know, extrude under high heat soybean to make it safe. That's great. Yeah, real ancestral wisdom uh, at that yeah. point. And it's crazy when you want to go out to eat and you want to have you want to select something healthy and these bowls are so popular and it'll be your uh, ancestral grain bowl or whatever and it'll start with the quinoa, of course. Sometimes, I mean, I'll even ask, like, hey, do you guys soak your quinoa or else, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to get it because, well, excuse me, but I'll see it coming out six hours later in the toilet bowl. I mean, you just you just know it. It literally goes right through you. So, uh, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, and that brings up another uh, great ancestral wisdom. You know, four billion people use rice as their staple. But four billion people go to the trouble of taking the hull off of brown rice and make it white. 
and for, and you go, well, boy, are they stupid? You know, because <laughs> you know all the all the good stuffs in brown rice. Well, no, they're not stupid. They figured this out long ago, and it's the same way the tradition of of white bread. Uh, ever since bread was invented, wheat was invented, people have been trying to get the hull off of wheat and make the bread whiter. In fact, the aristocracy in Europe and England were the ones who got the white bread and the peasants got the brown bread. Uh, and, and they, you know, they would pay more for the laborious process of getting the hull off of wheat. And I mean, can you imagine a, you know, a, a, a Frenchman having a whole wheat croissant? I mean, it just, it, you know, boggles the mind. <laughs> And, and, but believe it or not, there is now in Italy in tourist centers whole wheat pasta, and uh, and I talk to these chefs and they say, ah, oh, you know, it's it's killing us. But you know, the, you idiot Americans, you know, have to have this. Yep, it it's uh, yeah, sure enough, and gluten free and and all this stuff. Well, we can. Uh, that's a whole nother rabbit hole. But I I go. do want I do want to make sure. That we get some actionable tips uh, from your book, the Plant Paradox Family Cookbook, and one of the things that you talk about is buy-in. And of course, we have millennial listeners here, so this might you might live with a roommate or a partner, right? Who who or starting your own family or a big challenge. Yep. For example, for me is when I go home and visit my family, and I want to spend a week there. Well, now all of a sudden there there might be this conflict, and I'm ordering one type of groceries, and they're eating their own thing, and uh, so it can be a challenge to to try to you know not only feel good yourself, but also what, once you feel good, you want to pay it forward to other people and try to educate them. But you can come off sounding preachy, and it can be yeah, a whole big yeah. conflict. So, what are some of your tips for navigating these types of issues? Well, the, re the reason I actually wrote the Plant Paradox Family Cookbook is uh, really for my, my oldest daughter and her family. Um, she actually just turned 40, and uh, she, I have two daughters, one 40 and one 37. And the 37-year-old has been following my program for about 15 years and thrives on it. And... Uh, there's usually one uh, family member who you know won't listen, and so my my oldest daughter really ignored everything I said, even though she was uh, very overweight, she was depressed, she had arthritis, she had migraines, just miserable, and uh, allergies, and, um, sinus infections, and so two years ago, uh, at the holiday season, I, I gave her the Plant Paradox book again. I said, look, don't do not do this for me. Don't do this for uh, yourself. Uh, you got two young children, and they're my grandchildren. Do it for them. And something, you know, something clicked. And she and her husband both lost uh, 60 pounds. And their, their kids uh, have been raised with the uh, these recipes and they're six and three and a half now and my my daughter I just actually spent last week skiing with the family and my daughter is now an incredibly happy person chatty doesn't you know uh, 
she's a horsewoman. She's actually going to try out for the Olympics. She's that good. Uh, but she couldn't even get on a horse a couple of years ago. And her arthritis is gone. Her sinus infections are gone. But she knows if she, you know, she, she gets one you know, bite of bread or a tomato that she'll, the next day she will be suffering. Um, and she's tried it. Uh, and it's not worth it for her anymore. So the, both she and her husband work. They're busy. Uh, you know, you got to get the kids to soccer practice and ballet practice and who knows how many other practices. And most people, busy families, are tired. Um, and so what do you do? Uh, well, you stop and pick up pizza or you pick up chicken or, you know, whatever, Chinese food. And you know it's not good for you. You know it's not good for the kids, but you got to give them something. So I think one of the things that's been great about the Instant Pot or other pressure cookers is you can feed a family of four or more quickly with food that they're actually going to love. These recipes, they've been tried on families, including my own and many other people, that, oh, you know, this actually, this is food we love that loves us back. And really that's been the fundamental principle. Uh, you, you know, we're going to give you brownies but or ice cream, but the ice cream is probably, and the brownies are going to have avocados in them and uh, instead of, you know, really awful fats. But the Instant Pot destroys all lectins except gluten. So it won't make wheat safe, um, but throw the quinoa in there and it'll make it safe. Uh, throw rice in there, it'll make it safe. Throw beans in a pressure uh, pot, uh, it'll make it safe. And these things cook fast, so you can get a really great meal on the table quickly. One of the other things I really suggest people do is on the weekends, where hopefully you have more time, uh, believe it or not, I work on the weekends. I see patients all day, Saturday and Sunday. Um, so a weekend is no different uh, than any other day for me. Um, you can batch cook and get things ready. The other thing that my, my daughter has taught me is that kids love to participate in cooking. I was lucky enough to be f fascinated with my mother's cooking and I helped her kind of from day one in the kitchen. And she taught me how to cook because her mother taught her how to cook. And it's been kind of a lost art. Again, generations should be teaching people how to cook and we've lost that. And there is a joy of cooking. Um, it's fun, the kids have a great time. Uh, the other thing we do, okay, let's suppose you're just introducing this to a family that has not exactly been following great food choices. What I suggest is you, you let the family votes and says, okay, what one thing are we gonna get rid of first? And you know, maybe it's bread, uh, maybe it's cookies, maybe it's chips, maybe it's corn and flour tortillas, and we're going to switch over to almond flour coconut tortillas. One switch and see how it goes. 
and believe it or not, because there's so many good replacements now for the things that we were used to, that it's actually pretty easy. And once that happens, then you go, okay, you know, now I got you. Okay, what's the next thing we're going to try? And let people buy in. Let them have a choice, rather than saying, this is what you're going to eat, and if you don't eat it, you know, tough. That usually doesn't go over well. No, that's that's great. Thank you for that, Dr. Gundry, and that instant pot. Uh, that's something that I've started to use. Uh, recently, I, I spoke with Terry Cochran uh, of the Wildatarian Diet on the podcast, and she's a, a big proponent of the Instant Pot and, and uh, a lot of the things that you're talking about today. So I, I'm going to link to all this in the show notes at mattwilson.co for everybody who can get the links to, of course, uh, Dr. Gundry's books and, and these type of things. Um, but what I wanted to point out with this Instant Pot is it's well, it's quite instant. Things cook very quickly and they don't require a lot of time and mental energy. And for a busy person, that's very nice. I mean, I can just imagine I don't have children yet, but having children but soon, soon, yes. I mean, just putting, you just throw the stuff in the pot and let it go. And, you know, I'll come home from work after a busy day and want to go and work out and I'll just quick peel and chop the sweet potatoes and put, you know, put the different like garbanzo beans and make these stews yep. and stuff uh, and put them right there in the instant pot and set it. It's a set it and forget it kind of thing. And I come back and it's ready. <laughs> Nothing burned down. That's right. Yeah. You basically push one button and you're good to go. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty, pretty amazing. And um, could you speak to some of the money saving benefits also of preparing food like this because the time saving is is really obvious because I'll take that and I'll eat it for dinner and then it's certainly my lunch the next day at work uh, but how about uh, how about some of the ways to save money doing this yeah you know it's very interesting I, I actually take um, uh, medical which is Medicaid patients in my practice my uh, my bookkeepers would rather me not but I think quite frankly all people are entitled to health care regardless of their income and uh, these people don't have a lot of money. Uh, many of them are Spanish-speaking. And uh, it, interestingly, what we found is that if they actually do this, they save a remarkable amount of money. And the reason they save money is that fast foods and processed foods are extremely expensive for the amount of nutrition you actually get. And that's where the profit margin is. And people are shocked with, for instance, uh, people say I'm against beans. I'm not against beans at all. You just know how, have to know how to tame them. And people say you hate tomatoes. I don't hate tomatoes. You have to know how to tame them. So if you take original ingredients, like for instance, just as an example, a pound of beans are one of the cheapest foods there is. And an Instapot now, I mean, you can go to Walmart or Target or Costco and get these things are usually always on sale now. And throw that in there, you'll have, you know, you'll, you'll destroy the lectins, you'll have a great tasting meal, and your family will be happy. And when people come in, they go, you know, I can't believe it, you know, I, I'm saving money. 
the other thing that's important to realize is the average and millennials need to realize this soon because I'm a baby boomer and statistically right now the baby boomers will be the longest living generation in the history of America and subsequent generations the Xers the Millennials will have shorter lifespans than the baby boomers if uh, Millennials don't pay attention we're actually now seeing people who are non-smokers uh, develop heart disease, have stents and coronary bypasses in their mid to late 30s. And we never, ever used to see that unless you were a big-time smoker. Uh, we're, I, see, I take care of kids, teenagers who are diabetics, type 2 diabetics, which we never saw until later in life. So, and this is all from, you know, quick food, fast food, the way our animals are raised. So uh, millennials, and this is why, you know, I do my darndest to reach millennials. You guys are smart enough to realize that something's really wrong. And if you don't, the government's not going to help you. Big medicine is not going to help you. Big pharmacy is not going to help you. Uh, all we see is commercials on TV from Big Pharma looking at all these happy millennials who, you know, don't have psoriasis anymore, don't have Crohn's disease anymore, don't have rheumatoid arthritis anymore, and they're taking transplant drugs. And I'll tell any millennial who will listen, I get, guess what? I didn't put a heart transplant in you. I didn't put a kidney transplant in you. What the heck are you looking so happy taking a transplant drug? These autoimmune diseases are completely fixable by changing your diet. They all go away. Amazing. So. Amazing. Dr. Gundry, thank you for that. Before I have to let you go here, I have to ask you, uh, I follow you on Instagram. It always looks like you're having a good time. You're writing book after book at this point. Uh, you're traveling. You're doing a lot of good in the world. So I have to ask you, what's your secret? Well, believe it or not, you got to love what you do and do what you love. And uh, nothing gets me more excited than seeing someone turn their life around by simple changes that I've recommended or they've read about. I mean, Kelly Clarkson, I, you know, she's not a patient of mine. Kelly Clarkson had Hashimoto's thyroiditis, thyroid medication. She was obviously overweight. And she, somebody handed her the plant paradox and she lost 40 pounds. Hashimoto's went away. She's off of thyroid medication. And so, yeah, why wouldn't I do this? Uh, because I'm like a kid in a candy store. Every day I get to see, you know, an exciting thing happen to my patients. And that's why I see patients, you know, seven days a week. I'm here in the office right now at lunch hour and I work over lunch hour. And that's another key. Uh, please skip meals. One of the smartest things that you can do is skip meals. Excellent. Well, Dr. Gundry, thank you for sharing all that. It's been a real honor to have you on the show. Your latest book is The Plant 
Paradox Family Cookbook. Uh, I really enjoyed the longevity paradox and you have, a, of course, a whole series around this plant paradox theme uh, that people can look up. And uh, again, I'll link to these things in the show notes. But where can people reach out to you directly or engage with you on social media, find out more about your work? So I've got two Facebook pages, Instagram. Uh, you can find me at drgundry.com. You can find me at gundrymd.com. And, you know, uh, the Dr. Gundry podcast is extremely popular. Got some really fun guests. And uh, you can get that wherever you get your podcast. So plenty of places to find me. And the books, uh, we've had... Uh, seven bestsellers five of them have been new york times bestsellers so get them wherever books are sold and preferably go to your local bookstore and help them out wise words dr gundry thank you so much this was a lot of fun all right and thanks for having me matt pleasure if you enjoyed that episode i would be forever grateful if you provided support for this show by going to millennial travelguidebook.com where you can either download a copy of my new book, The Millennial Travel Guidebook, Escape More, Spend Less, and Make Travel a Priority in Your Life for just 99 cents, or you can just download a free chapter, and that is on how to find the best deals on flights. I would be so grateful if you could do that and help me get to number one on Amazon. Thank you guys so much. I know you will receive tremendous value from this book that I took two years of my life to write. So thank you again for the support and see you next week.